Welcome to Thinking Like a Lawyer, with your hosts, Ellie Mistal and Joe Patrice, talking about legal news and pop culture, all while thinking like a lawyer, here on Legal Talk Network. Hello, welcome to another edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law. I'm joined, as usual, by my partner Ooh, in this that, show. That, that was too long a pause there, Joe. I mean, I guess you're, partner I was going to say co-editor, and then I was like, no, it's senior editor. Am I going to say co-senior editor? And I, so I went with partner in crime. Yeah, I think Okay, that's, I mean, I can, live with, I can live with partner in crime. I think yeah. that's, that's fair. So uh, Catherine Rubino's here, also of Above the Law, obviously. How are you this fine day? You know, I'm still a little shook that it's not the long weekend, but uh, we're rapidly approaching another weekend, so that'll be okay. Yeah, it is, however, a fairly long weekend, indeed, a fairly long summer, uh, staring down the the United States Supreme Court, who Mm -hmm. concluded activities today. Yeah, I think this was like the first time in 24 years that they've had decisions go into July. Yeah, although I think that's a little bit unfair. Uh, the uh, COVID, The yeah, previous sure. time it was because there were a lot, and this time it was because they spent a month doing nothing. <laughs> yeah. um, Quarantine is a bitch. But yeah, so we had uh, we had the last day. As mm-hmm. it turns out, as far as we can tell, obviously there's no rule that you have to resign immediately after the last opinion. Sure, but it has been tradition. It has been tradition, and based on that, it seems as though... Clarence Thomas and Samuel Alito are not retiring. Well, uh, you had a pretty interesting take, I thought. I mean, I thought that, you know, last week we kind of talked about this, and I think it's generally true. I think that, you know, Thomas, I mean, people who suggested Thomas was going to retire just have not been paying attention to Thomas ever. They just make a bunch of assumptions. But in terms of Alito, you know, which is, quote unquote, the stronger rumor that, that he might resign, again, it, it seemed pretty far-fetched to me. But I thought that given their sitting out of a, a pair of 7-2 decisions today. I thought you had a pretty good take on that. In fairness, I don't think that either of them had any desire to retire. And I, no, oh, yeah. wow, I'm rhyming today. I guess it's because I've seen Desire to Hamilton. retire. Oh. Yeah. Oh. No, um, did, you, did you like it? So, yeah, sure. Uh, but more importantly, the Supreme Court you know, also saw sometimes conversations take little detours. Just, just roll with it, well, Joe. Well, I was just going with, moreover, the Supreme Court saw Hamilton as they made multiple Hamilton and Burr references in today's opinions. I did see some of that. And somebody's like, is this is this going to be the sequel to Hamilton? The I mean, they're, they're really pushing it. I assume they're, uh, I assume like everything else, Disney also owns most of the Supreme Court. That would make more sense. Yeah. But yes, I did not think that they were going to leave office. I felt like Mm -hmm. most Mm -hmm. Supreme Court justices are, I I think it was, um, I think it's the late Greg Giraldo uh, had a stand-up routine Mm -hmm. about on the occasion of Sonia Sotomayor's naming, being named to the court that she gave a speech, something like, I'm very humbled by this. And he made fun of that. It's like, yeah, that's the thing people say. You've just been given the greatest job ever for the rest of your life. You are absolutely not humbled. That is the opposite <laughs> of what you are right now. Uh, and I think that's true. I think that these... He was a lawyer, right, Greg Geraldo? Was, was he? he? I don't know. I think so. Anyway, I, great comic is the yeah. is the real point. But... R.I.P. Yeah, he, they, and Catherine's making the kissing her fingers and pointing to the sky sign. Which, if we were a video chat, you would see. It would be see. funnier. Sure. Yeah. I get that. Anyway, I thought that they weren't going to because they are not humble people. Sure. These are people who do not believe they are replacement value, no matter how much Leonard Leo and the Federalist Society like everyone to believe that they mm-hmm. can just plug another one out. They don't believe that. And I think that if there was any sense that they believed they were replacement value, and indeed any sense that the conservative movement 
wanted them to be pushed out the door and replaced with a 35-year-old from George Mason Law School or something. (laughs) That all disappeared when they were the only two trying to defend Trump from having his taxes revealed. I mean, now that Kavanaugh and Gorsuch are cucks in their eyes, like, what are they going to do? Yeah, that is particularly true. And, and I think it's something interesting about the plug and play model that, that you've been talking about, where when in terms of like uh, the legislative branch, or you know, the, that's more of a plug and play scenario, the majority of the work that they do is voting. Sure, some some folks, of course, write bills and whatnot in their committees, but, but, uh, but most of their work is voting up or down particular pieces of legislation. And it doesn't matter who's voting yay or nay, right? But when it comes to Supreme Court decisions, you know, those are written. And even though the decision, the, the result might be the one that they wanted, how they write it and the methods that they use to write it. And they're, the cases that they cite and the logic that they use obviously is has the ripple effect. And, and frankly, that's why who writes the abortion decision matters. Like, you know, that's why all this, this really is important. And, and I think that as much as the conservatives may want to the plug and play model, I think that the mere structure of the way that the courts write their decisions prevent that from being accurate. Yeah, and especially with Thomas, somebody who, even amongst the mainstream of the movement, seems to go off on his own little tangents. Uh, He can't possibly believe he can be replaced. Obviously, this could all prove between, even between now and publishing of this podcast, could all fall apart on us. But it seems now that the... Now that the day I mean, is done, that I don't it is think, safe. I do not think that Thomas is going to retire. Exactly. Uh, so what we had today, let's talk quickly about what we had today. Okay. And then I, this will be, I, we're going to have a lot of Supreme Court talk, I guess, which is fitting because it's the end of the term. So what we had today was in, in uh, there's a social media meme going around of people uh, describe your favorite movie in the most boring terms possible. Sure, you know, that sort sure. of thing. Have you done any of those? I haven't. Okay, uh, yeah. So the, this is going around. I figure we can do that with the Supreme Court here. So the first case, uh, which Justice Gorsuch wrote, was Oklahoma is no longer a state. Um, no, uh, <laughs> not, not quite true, but this was a, a case about native sovereignty and whether or not Oklahoma can prosecute people in contravention of some tribal sovereignty treaties. And as it turns out, Justice Gorsuch and the more liberal justices uh, got together on this over the objections of the conservatives and said, no, you, you have to respect the treaties that we have with these tribes, which is kind of an amazing shift, given that the a lot of people who, I saw this written somewhere, that a lot of people who practice tribal sovereignty law believe that the actual hidden canon of mm-hmm. Indian law is tribes always lose. And <laughs> so this was a this suggests that Gorsuch, who has a long history of being friendly sure. uh, as a lower court justice to judge. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, judge. Low as a before becoming a justice sure. uh, when he was a judge, being more friendly to tribes. Yeah. So th- this was kind of expected, but it's a huge uh, something I've seen going around social media today about that particular decision was that this is the second time that RBG has been the senior person um, on top of a decision, and the decision has been written by Gorsuch. So something that she would have approved, signed off on, and whatnot. And some folks are taking it as you know a sign that RBG is not the liberal hero that they want. And listen, I, I mean she's not my favorite justice. 
Justice. I like her a lot, but I think Sotomayor is sitting right there uh, doing doing the work. But um, the other thing I, I think that people that sort of the memification of the Supreme Court is missing is that you know in order to get five judges, five justices to agree, oftentimes these sorts of deals have to be made. Right? Mm-hmm. It's very possible that you know Gorsuch would have sided with the or written a concurrence or written another his own dissent if it wasn't something that he wrote. So I think that there's there's a lot of behind the scenes politicking that perhaps we don't capture when we write memes. Yeah, and that's fair. And on the other hand, though, it's... But also maybe. I haven't haven't spent a ton, a ton of time on this opinion. I read it quickly, but then uh, the other two that we're about to get to uh, (laughs) rolled in and drew me away. But I'm I'm also not altogether sure there was a lot of politicking. It, it hmm. seems as though his opinion was pretty straight up the gut of what you would imagine the liberals would, would have chosen. To, yeah, yeah. Would you would want it to. More or less, it was that this might make things harder mm-hmm. for Oklahoma to prosecute crimes, but, you know. Tough. Tough. Uh, <laughs> the, the borders that we have. So goes sovereignty. <laughs> the agreements we have with these people are not, you know, cannot be waved away at your convenience. He didn't really say it that way, but more or less, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So then the other two cases, which were both written by the Chief Justice, uh, how would we describe these in a boring way? Um, Chief Justice delays decision? So, uh, <laughs> there, there is that. Uh, Chief Justice punts with great fanfare. Uh, but it, it's, it's also true that you could say that the White House, White House attempts to overrule Nixon fails. Uh, <laughs> that doesn't sound super boring. Though. Yeah. So they, uh, so these were the cases about whether or not in the first instance, the Manhattan district attorney would be able to subpoena financial documents from the Trump sure. organization. Mm-hmm. And in the second case, it was whether or not there are a variety of congressional subpoenas out there to secure right. financial information and whether or not those are valid. In all cases, they didn't really come to a conclusion. Thomas and Alito said, obviously, the president doesn't have to answer to anyone. The other justices felt and the, that... And that's where they, they cited the Aaron Burr case, right? Uh, it was the treason case of Aaron Burr that I think they cited and and they because Burr wanted to subpoena Jefferson. And I believe that that was one of the citations anyway to Hamilton that you were alluding to earlier. Yeah. Uh, what I was going to say is that so the both of these cases still involve more litigation. The mm-hmm. Vance case, the Manhattan one, that Seems will, closer. That will be that is much closer. It more or less said that there is not an absolute immunity here. It will be kicked back down to the circuit and then potentially from there back down to district court. But mm-hmm. we are looking at the high likelihood that this is a subpoena that has to be complied with. Now, will that be done before November? Will that be done before November? Uh, difficult to say. Probably not. Uh, the question. Now, now, do you yeah. think that it's something you have a, a, a bit more white collar experience than mm. the average bear? Is it something that could be done by November? And we are concerned that the sort of delays within the Manhattan District Attorney's Office might prevent it. Or is it just that the process is such that it just it could not be fast tracked? If you wanted to get this done, this could get done. Uh, and you don't think Syvans wants to get this done or doesn't uh, or care or doesn't care about getting it done? No, I mean, I think it, I, I assume given that this is a high profile matter uh, mm-hmm. that he will work diligently on it so long as it <laughs> results in him. Uh, I mean, if, it, if it's something that matters to somebody, Syvans is very and by somebody, I mean, he means the general public. He's very quick about things. If it's mm-hmm. getting people who have not even faced arraignment out of Rikers Island in seven years. He seems very bad about that job. Yeah. That job seems probably more important. However, yeah. this <laughs> is um, this is going to be a high-profile enough matter that I assume he'll work quickly. But, 
you know, it's going to, there's going to be motions to delay it at the circuit sure. level. Uh, there will be attempts to muck it up below that. Uh, so it'll take some time. In a normal proceeding, you could imagine this all moving fairly quickly, but who knows? Maybe this will be our October surprise. Yeah, I mean, could be. Uh, it, so far, it seems as though, I believe Deutsche Bank has already intimated that they're going to comply with subpoenas that they've received. So, right, so. some of the third parties are uh, going to move forward like that. The other case about congressional subpoenas was more tricky. This is the one where Congress says, hey, I want this stuff. And the federal government said, and federal government, uh, the Solicitor General's <laughs> office said, no, you don't get to have those because you have no reason to see those because you're not impeaching anybody. And their position is, well, how would we know whether we're impeaching PG's. somebody until sure. we see these sure. things? Sure. Um, Seems like a bit of a chicken and egg question right there. But. It is. And the, the majority in this was, we think that it's ridiculous to assume the president can't it can avoid congressional subpoenas. Mm -hmm. We also think it's ridiculous to assume that Congress can subpoena anything they ever want ever. Here's some broad guidelines that we would like to see followed. Get on that. So everybody go back and get on that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it is high, the, It is pretty much impossible to believe that this that will, will be resolved. Sure. They're basically all starting from scratch. It will have to go through multiple tiers. I mean, mm -hmm. you could, you know, we brought up Nixon earlier, you could envision a world where things get fast-tracked. And I mean, the Nixon case was, what, nine, like nine days after it came out, the Supreme Court had an opinion on it. Uh, that's not something I think anybody, well, certainly not what the conservatives on the court have an appetite to do. In sure, this instance. sure. They'd rather wait till it's moot. Yeah, I mean, right. that, was the, that, was, that was what the three majority conservatives suggested by having this punt of a decision was that they have no appetite to push this any faster. Mm. I mean, it, it, it pisses off Alito and Thomas, sure. but you know, what Kavanaugh and Gorsuch and Roberts did is save the power of Congress to ask questions about Hunter Biden and Ukraine yeah. for the next four years, yeah. which is what I fully expect. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you can't look at these decisions and not kind and not, you know, be cynical. And, and I think that that a cynical eye towards these decisions is necessary in order to fully understand what was said and why it was said, yeah. you know, but it, 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 it'll be, it'll be really interesting to see. Yeah. So we were talking about retirements, obviously, but we've, determined that we don't believe Alito and Thomas are going to retire. Another justice who there's no reason to believe would retire is Chief Justice Roberts, despite the fact that he um, falls down and goes boom. <laughs> uh, he did, and, and nobody knew. Yeah, and that's really the bigger issue here. Uh, yeah. So for those who weren't tracking all of this, because no one was able to track it because they didn't report it in a private... And it also happened during, you know, quarantine time, so there are not as many people who can observe stuff and, you know... But didn't happen at his house. Yeah. The Chief Justice, who pays something like... Hey, it's something like $90,000 to become a member and then $9,000 a year to maintain a member at some, like, country club he goes to, mm -hmm. uh, was walking around his country club uh, in late June and fell down and managed to crack his head open sufficiently that he had to get stitches and stay overnight in a hospital. Well, I mean, in fairness, the, the, my understanding is that it was, it was just a flesh wound. No, um, <laughs> right. but, uh, but no, but that the, it wasn't that the, the laceration was so severe that it required being overnight, but that he has previously on two separate occasions had, uh, what are they called? Seizures. Seizures. That's what they call yeah. Sorry. Seizures um, as a result of falls. And so in an abundance of 
caution, they decided to keep him overnight for observation and nothing that that he had no further symptoms. Yes, they they've determined that he like I don't know Beyonce or Ariana Grande or something like that was just dehydrated, uh, which is <laughs> right. Ex- Harry, I think it's a classic. Right, right. Yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> and look, that's an excuse that I, I don't totally buy uh, when people use it to get out of concerts. But even but there, at least they're dancing for two hours. I don't see a reason why the chief justice is dehydrated. As well, a, we don't know how long he was walking. Yeah, Oftentimes, okay. medications can cause dehydration. Maybe he had a lot of coffee. He says that. Well, they now or say that this was also dehydrates you. They Lots said of things dehydrate. They said that this is not a seizure-related incident. Mm-hmm. Apparently, uh, so he's just clumsy. But uh, <laughs> I mean, listen, I come from a very, very long line of clumsy individuals, and I think that you, having known me for for a matter of years, can can attest that I am a fairly clumsy individual, and I could easily just fall and crack my head open. Yeah, that's fair, I guess. But like, some people are just clumsy. It's not like a reflection on your abilities as a human. The point, though, is that (laughs) this was a thing that happened in late June to a person who has a history of seizures, and the public was informed of this in a Tuesday night news dump this Tuesday night, Um, which is not Several weeks later, yeah. Yeah. Which, I mean, as I put it, RBG gets the sniffles, and it's a multiple hours worth of talk news about how she should retire and it's mm-hmm. and it's an and it builds a narrative that, right, uh, that, right. that really undermines her ability to do her job and that's why she may not probably like the fact that her health records get blasted as soon as she has an incident and i respect that the problem is that's the way it works when you have a screwed up system where we have lifetime and a lifetime aristocracy making most of our important constitutional yeah. decisions. <laughs> but the double standard that the dude with the dude who controls that office then has a history of seizures and goes into the hospital and manages to keep it under wraps well, to I protect mean, himself okay. is problematic. Playing devil's advocate. But I mean, it was released eventually. A few weeks later, we're in the middle of a global health crisis. So it's possible also they wanted to make sure that he was, you know, that there weren't any further complications before they reveal it. And, and we we know eventually, we know that he has a history. I know all about his history of seizures. So it's not like he's uni- somehow more isolated, you know, whether whether the timing is super important, probably. But, but it doesn't, it's not like he's, it's not years later. It's a matter of weeks later. We're still in the middle of the same, you know, global health crisis. Frankly, spending time in a hospital during all this is newsworthy in and of itself. Well, I mean, he did. It waited two weeks, right? And maybe, maybe that was the concern. I mean, this is what uh, the folks that fix the court mm-hmm. have been on top of, and I think are very right about. Uh, the court is not only a bizarre outlier in the American constitutional system, in that it is profoundly anti-democratic and it is run as a lifetime aristocracy and then on top of that sure. we managed to make it the most transparent uh, the least, least transparent, transparent. well i mean certainly and also their hesitance to have any sort of technology in the courtroom is yeah, incredibly it, problematic hesitant to technology there they aren't telling you when people are getting sick like it's it's a complete lockdown and it is problematic and mm-hmm. this is just part and parcel of 
the issues with the court's transparency problem. Sure. I, yeah, I think it's part of it. I don't think it's a separate issue necessarily. But, you know, he was well enough a few days later to take away a woman's right to contraception if she works at a religious employer. Yeah. Well, I mean, I he mean, was giving back to the healthcare industry that helped him. <laughs> um <laughs> So what else? Uh, so we talked a lot about the Supreme Court here. Is there anything else this week that you found of interest? Man, I can't even remember what I did yesterday. That's fair. I mean, that is a lot of what it's like these days. Yeah, it just feels like everything comes super fast and furious. I think there. I think I wrote something about some sexual harassment survey. Women lawyers on guard did it. Was sexual harassment still terrible? Is okay. the short answer. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that there was a lot of information in there and you should check out their actual ser- their their results, but people think that sexual harassment is basically over and done and has been solved in the legal profession and the actual survey results suggest otherwise. And the other I think really key finding that they had was they also surveyed uh, women who said that they had experienced harassment at work and s- looked at what consequences women f- or or not just women but the people who were harassed faced whether it be to their mental health, whether it be to their professional career, or combination of those. And by and large, they found that the consequences to those harassed were far greater than those who did the harassment, even if it was reported, mm. which is obviously not what you want to see. No, definitely not. But unfortunately, not a result I'm surprised to hear. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah and I, I think that those who were really surprised were probably folks, yeah, and, I, and I think this happens, I think, a lot with the legal profession. People assume that they're somehow better than these problems that are society-wide. And what what we've learned through a series of, of cases and, and allegations and, and so forth is that the legal professions know better. It doesn't matter how, how that you went to whatever law school that you have, what level of education, these sorts of systemic societal problems still occur in even the highest levels of the legal sphere. Oh, nobody thought that the legal profession was better than anything. Uh, <laughs> Plenty of people do. Oh, they, you know, they must, how yeah. could they be sexual harassing? They're the ones who write the, the laws. They're the ones who write the sexual harassment training. How could they possibly be doing it? Yeah, no, it's, it's bad. And the profession is, uh, I mean, the profession has a lot of problems, right? Uh, yeah. That doesn't mean that we can't be romantic about what it should be, but we should be realistic about what it is. Sure. Um, okay. Atticus Fincher, over there. <laughs> I mean, actually, well, that, that actually is a good lesson of the two books back to back. Be romantic and then, uh, uh, but well, I mean, we, those are separate issues that never should have been published. She never intended it really for it to be published. Mm. Uh, Beyond that uh, mm-hmm. conversation about the profession and what it should be and all that, the only other major trend going on, and uh, for those who've been listening to this show for a while, you know it's been going on for a while, and we're still talking about it because it's going to keep being an issue for a little <laughs> bit, which is the bar exam is... Oh, yeah. The schedule for the bar exam is coming up. Most states end have... End of this month is when, it, yeah. historically, it would in, in non-pandemic times, the end of this month is when the bar exam will be. Right. And for several states, is when the bar exam will still be. I can't believe that's happening. Yeah. It, it's really problematic. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a number of states still going forward on it. There are policies in place, supposedly safety measures, which are troubling. There are last-minute cancellations as people are finally starting to realize this isn't doable. I there thought are, I saw also that Delaware just moved their location to a larger venue in order to ensure greater uh, distance. Uh, and Colorado just guaranteed that there would be smaller groups in any individual place. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's... 
it's a problem. And we're seeing that the bar examiners are really... They don't care. They they are not giving... Well, that's not true. Not every state. there, But there are definitely a cadre of states that have said, well, you're going to take the test. I, I would highly recommend a great piece that we published by our columnist, uh, Law Prof Blog, about the bar examiners, the kings of wishful thinking. Uh, <laughs> and it is a, a great rundown, a kind of satirical rundown of how bar examiners are responding to the crisis. Mm-hmm. And it's unfortunately, largely based in fact. Uh, We have, (laughs) we've seen calls where the bar examiners who are doing it over Zoom, because of course they wouldn't do it in person because that would be dangerous, but are being (laughs) asked why all the students have to, well not students, graduates have to take a test in person under these circumstances. And we are seeing bar examiners who are on these calls going to sleep, rolling their eyes. It's Disconcerting, it, to say the least. It's disconcerting. And I, I and now look, I'm sensitive to the idea that on a three-hour Zoom call, uh, you're possibly not going to always appear engaged. Like, that's going to happen. I mean, sure. I, look, I look disinterested when you're talking during this podcast half the time. Really? But that's really? Not, but that's not because I am. It's a half hour, man. Get it together. I, it's not because I am Get disinterested. Get it together, man. Okay. But, but, okay, fine. <laughs> I, I, will accept, I will accept that because that, that's feeds my point. Sometimes you can look dis- disengaged, but you have to get it together under cir- yes. certain circumstances. Yes, and, and, while, and while this is not a video podcast, Too bad. video I Zoom call where a person who is, yeah, okay, I see what you just did there. <laughs> uh, a video podcast where a person who is responsible right. for all of this. Right. Like, and it's a serious matter. It's not yeah. like people are saying, oh, what do I, what dress code is going to be enforced at the bar exam? Yeah. There's a freaking global pandemic. This is important. This is important. It's your job. And, and, and it's your job. And, and that's the and thing. You job. signed up. You signed up. You do it twice a year. Twice a year. Get it together, man. You signed up for the job that requires you yeah. to care. And so you have to look good for your own institution's credibility. 100%. And so that, that's been problematic. Uh, yes, both Texas and California had these incidents. Uh, we wrote about them at Above the Law in a joint column about why can't these people stay awake. But <laughs> get, yeah, it, that's... Get the bar examiners more coffee. Yeah, that should be the refrain. Uh, but anyway, and, it, uh, you know, I kind of use it as a throwaway, but I actually thought one of the one of the funnier, sad, but also funny uh, bar exam stories that you did since you're kind of our point on all things bar exam related at the moment was Virginia. Have we not talked about that one on this show yet? I don't Can't I think remember. it happened this week. Did it? I think so. No, that had to have been like a year ago. Um, <laughs> Time feels- has no meaning, you guys. Yes, the Virginia bar exam has looked at the situation and realized that it's dangerous for people to be taking an in-person summer exam, bar exam. And so they have decided that men don't have to wear ties to the exam anymore. Men had to wear ties to the Virginia bar exam. They actually still have to wear suits, but the tie itself is not required. I don't, I mean, okay, I remember what outfit I wore to the bar exam because I wanted to, I wanted to be a lucky lucky outfit that I, 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 outfits, oh series of outfits. I mean, you know me, you know, I, you know, I did this. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I can't imagine if I had to wear a suit or a dress to the bar exam. I mean, it just seems, it seems laughable. And I think you had a great line. Did I? I don't remember what the it would be. The cosplay? 
I, th- this was uh, again. Remember, I thought this story was like a month ago. Like you said you, that you said that they're just playing lawyer cosplay. And- it is. I mean that, that. Yes, the bar examiners are at there at least are trying to have like a dress up Renaissance fair larping utterly, of lawyering. Utterly unnecessary to wear anything in particular to take the bar exam. It is completely yes. irrelevant to your ability to be a lawyer. It is. It is not in front of a client. It is not in front of a judge. It is just a bunch of bullshit, and yeah. it's laughable that that is their biggest concern right now. Yeah, but, but I mean, it it highlights how bar examiners yes, don't care yes. about this. They wrap themselves in protecting the public and all this garbage, mm-hmm. but they really just care about running their annual party where they make little, little graduates jump through hoops and dress up all cute for yep. them and play pub trivia about law stuff. Like, there is no real advantage. It doesn't protect anybody. There's a great article uh, you- from... Oregon Court of Appeals judge where she just unloaded on people saying that the bar exam is about public protection because she's like, it's not, and I've been doing this for years. I know it's not, and let me explain how badly these arguments play if you know what you're talking about. As you might imagine, Joe Patrice is a big fan of diploma privilege. (laughs) I I am. I I think that... I mean, it's pretty obvious, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and and I think I'm definitely a fan of it on an emergency basis, but I think on a going forward basis, I think it has to go hand in hand with a tightening of the ship among law schools. Like we do have a problem mm-hmm. of people who can't pass the bar when they graduate law from law school, from some law schools. Now, some of that is because bar exams are dumb and should be letting more people in. But others of it is because we have diploma California. mill law schools. <laughs> well, we have diploma mill law. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Diploma mill law schools that don't actually prepare people to be to attorneys. To do much of anything, yeah. And in that case, I think during this emergency time, we have to err on the side of caution and let those people all in. Right. But longer term, I think a diploma privilege program, or there's also some distinctions between that and education privilege, and I won't get into all that now. We'll sure. talk about that on a future podcast. But I think that they're probably next week's even. Uh, but <laughs> Preview. <laughs> but I think that there's a value in moving to that system long term because it sure. will then force sure. the ABA and so on to be in a better position to tighten up. And I think the ABA wants to. I just think that they are hamstrung by bar exams and schools that say it doesn't matter how lax we are it'll get settled at the bar exam stage yeah Yeah, in the back end it should be a front end question before students are asked to pay or take out loans yeah uh, you know hundreds of thousands of dollars worth we we should should trust that if you've gone to a law school and completed an approved curriculum then you have mastered the subject matter Mm -hmm. that does not mean that you have mastered your ethics exam it does not mean that you've passed character and fitness but it does mean you at least least have passed all of the subject matter requirements to be yeah. a professional. I, I think you're right. Then you have, have an ethics, ex- continue to have an ethics yeah. exam. Oh, yeah. If not, uh, strengthen it. Because yeah, if make you it want, actually make it a real thing. Because if you want to talk about protecting the public, it seems to me as though those two <laughs> things have a lot closer line than a bar exam. Yeah. But, well, we've been going on for a bit in a pretty rapid fire way. So unless you have something else to say, I'm prepared to. Uh, I can I can hold my piece till next week. Oh. What, I mean, it, I don't have a thing. I'm just saying. Oh, okay. <laughs> I cool. thought it was a cute line. No, you didn't like it. Sure. You're well, such and, a jerk. What? Well, I no. I mean, it, it was fine. Like, what? <laughs> what do you want me to say? Do you want me to lie? Like, 
<laughs> You're such a jerk. <laughs> All right. So uh, with that said, thanks for listening. Thank you for subscribing, hopefully. You should be subscribed. You should give reviews, give stars, write something. Uh, all those things help, and they give us guidance and helps out the algorithm figure us out where we are. You should be reading Above the Law. You should follow. I'm at Joseph Patrice. She's at Catherine One. That's numeral one, both on Twitter. Uh, you should be listening to other shows. Catherine hosts The Jabot. I do. We also both usually host our special coverage ATL COVID cast, which we talk about COVID and the law-related issues. You should check out there's some other Above the Law shows. You should check out all the offerings from the Legal Talk Network. You have... Um, and yeah, if you are, have a hankering for legal tech stuff on Fridays, I do another show up where I'm a panelist. So I'm on Bob Ambrosi's show. So you can find us in a lot of places. With all that said, uh, we'll talk to you in the future. Peace. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. You can also find us at AboveTheLaw.com, ATLRedline.com, iTunes, RSS, Twitter, and Facebook. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.